the, the first year uh, Martin and I lived together, I bought some candy corn and it was gone in two days. And I'm like, oh man, we destroyed that bag. And Martin was like, I hate candy corn. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, I do that at work. I buy candy corn and pretend that I'm being magnanimous when I like put it out in a dish. And it's like, anyone can eat this, but I know that no one will because <laughs> right. it's just for me. Right. Hello and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, and this week I have been bouncing back and forth between being the merchant in an adventurer's town and a professor trying to date all of her students. Joining me, as always, are... Is sorry, you are one person. Uh, we are Pete Romberg. Hard, I know. <laughs> uh, we are Pete Romberg. Um, and we right now, I am. <laughs> uh, uh, I am uh, still celebrating and enjoying the uh, U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, which I got to see play a uh, friendly match against South Korea yesterday at Soldier Field as part of their nice. victory tour. Um, they're kind of going around the U.S playing victory matches against uh, other countries as part of their celebration for winning their fourth World Cup. Was the stadium pretty full? Uh, it was 33,000, um, which is pretty full. They didn't uh, sell out, like, any of the upper decks, but everything that they were selling looked like it was pretty much full. That rules. Yeah. Um, and it was, of course, the most soccer score. It was a one-to-one -one tie. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> that... <laughs> extremely on brand. Uh, South Korea pulled I, uh, like four yellow cards though during the game. It, like they were weirdly being aggressive. I it was I wasn't quite sure what was going on some of the time with like how like why they were drawing the yellow cards. Well, today on our show we are going to be discussing guilty pleasures and all that that loaded phrase entails. Uh, but first, it's time to talk about what is stuck in our heads this week. Uh, and I am going to go first because I realize that my introduction without context is super freaking creepy. Nope, you should definitely not explain the being a professor <laughs> trying to sleep with all of your students. That seems like a totally reasonable thing. <laughs> Did I say sleep with or date? Because I don't know that you can sleep with them. <laughs> might, you might have said date. We did read a very horny fairy book for one of these homeworks, so I kind of just assumed the two were the same thing. That's true. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Three Houses. I have never played a Fire Emblem game before, and when I started playing this game, I was a little skeptical about whether or not I would enjoy it because I don't really like tactical RPGs. Um, like, tactical combat is not super my jam mm -hmm. unless it's with miniatures and I'm playing Warhammer against my husband. Um, but... Fire Emblem Three Houses is 50% tactical RPG and 50% dating sim. And I am super, uh, super invested in all of the characters now. So the, the battles are just something that I kind of deal with so that I can get to my next round of socializing with all of the kids that my uh, character is weirdly um, teaching in the, <laughs> the world of this game. The, the setup is bananas um, because I don't think your character is canonically any older than all of these like knightly students. Oh, really? She just, 
ends up being recruited to teach them for some reason. <laughs> it makes it makes no sense. Um, I think the reason that that is built into the game is to give you like the player reason is so you have an in-game reason to like boost their skills and teach them new like class focuses. And so it's kind of like the mechanic then gets dressed up as you're their professor teaching their classes. Uh, but also it's 50% a dating sim. So that <laughs> ends up being very weird. Um, a friend of the show and former guest Corey Ruig described it to me as Fire Emblem Hogwarts, uh, which is slightly different than Fire Emblem dating sim. Uh, I've I've never it's, played a Fire Emblem either. My exposure to them is entirely the Smash Bros. characters. I I have also heard the comparison to Harry Potter. Here's the difference: um, people are not sorted into the houses. Hmm. They are. Um, they seem to be basically ge based on geographical regions of the world that the um, game takes place in. So the Mountain Clan goes to the Red House, and the River Clan goes to the Blue House, and whatever. Yes. To, to deeply simplify and probably, like, miss the mark on it somewhat. Well, not, I mean, not really. One of the houses is based on this, like, empire that's an empire. So, like, one of the girls in the house is just straight a political hostage. Mm. Fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, but what is stuck in your head this week, Pete? Uh, well, longtime viewers might remember that many, many episodes ago, we did an episode on uh, grief and loss, and I assigned the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album Skeleton Tree, which had been recorded shortly after his uh, teenage son tragically died. I do remember how this ruined my life emotionally, yes. Yeah, uh, well, good news, he's got a new album out, uh, first album written and recorded uh, after the death. Um that was 2016 with Skeleton Tree, so now this is three years later. It's called Ghost Teen, uh, all one word and with only one T. Um, and it is continuing the Skeleton Tree and, and the previous album, Push the Sky Away. It's very loose and open and atmospheric and haunting. Um, you can tell he's still definitely affected, uh, because how could you not be? Um but it's not as, like, deeply devastating uh, as Skeleton Tree was. It's kind of more, I don't know, open and thoughtful, and loss is still part of it, but not an all-consuming part of it. And it's a little bit of, like, moving on from there and, and reinterpreting the world and everything around it. Um, if you liked, uh, Martha, like, the sound of Skeleton Tree, like how his voice song sounds and how his cadence goes... Give this a shot. Uh, you'll probably enjoy the, like, ideas of the songs. I mean, Ghost Teen is kind of up your alley. Um, he's got a song called, like, Galleon Ship, uh, which also seems up your alley. I will admit to you right now, I have no recollection of what that album sounded like. That's fair. He, he has a very distinctive voice and a very distinctive <laughs> um, cadence to his singing in his newest albums. Uh, lots of words on a single line kind of thing sometimes. Um, and it's it's definitely a, like, if you like that, if you like Nick Cave's sound, this is a really good album. Uh, if you don't like his sound, you're just not going to get into it. Fair. Uh, so we are going to take a quick recess, and when we come back, we are going to dig in the into the hows, whys, and whos of Guilty Pleasures.
are back. So today our topic for you is guilty pleasures. Um, and I do not remember why I decided that I wanted to talk about this. Um, now, specifically, I always kind of want to talk about how it's ridiculous that anybody feels guilt for enjoying the things that they do. Um, but I did think it was in it was worth delving into why there are certain categories of media uh, that seem to collect this label more than others. Um, the Webster's Online Dictionary defines a guilty pleasure as something such as a movie, television program, or piece of music that one enjoys despite feeling that it is not generally held in high regard, which I believe is fancy dictionary speak for... I'm afraid people will make fun of me for liking this thing. Yeah. Fair? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Pete, why don't we start with your homework? So my homework had a... It is sort of telling a story arc of my particular taste in music over the past couple of years. Uh, I assigned two albums, uh, 2014 Taylor Swift album, 1989, and the 2015 Carly Rae Jepsen album, Emotion. Um... 1989 was the first pop, like raw pop album that I got into other uh, other than Robin. Uh, Robin's Body Talk I think was the actual first pop album. Um but for for things we'll talk about later, Robin has a very different valence than Taylor Swift does in the music world. Um like getting into 1989 was the moment when I I began liking it and thoroughly enjoying it as I was going for runs and whatnot, and found myself saying things like, yeah, I know it's a Taylor Swift album, but it's really good. Uh, and that got me thinking about, like, why am I even defending it that way or putting it in that bracket like that? Uh, you don't really do the same thing with, you know, oh, I know it's a national album, but it's really good. Um, which we'll get into a lot more throughout this um, episode. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen then came out a year later. By then, uh, I had no guilt at thoroughly enjoying the heck out of, uh, Canada's Poet Laureate's, uh, album. Uh, so she's He's... not, a she's not actually Canada's Poet Laureate. That's just what I say. Um, but. These albums both slap. I just want to put that yes. out into the world. <laughs> yes, they are. They are excellent, perfect pop albums, but pop as a genre is I think frequently a guilty pleasure, um, especially because it's how of how it's coded, which we'll get into uh, during this episode. Um, yes, I was already familiar with both of these albums. I love them dearly. Uh, Blank Space off 1989 is, I think, probably my favorite Taylor Swift song. Yeah, Pitchfork uh, just came out with like their 200 best songs of the decade, and it's a bad list. It only it the only Taylor Swift song is off of Red. And the fact that it doesn't have um, uh, Shake It Off is, like, a crime. Shake It Off is one of her more identifiable songs. I don't know that it's... Her, I don't know that if I was... If I was putting together a top 100 songs of the decade and I was going to include a Taylor Swift song, I don't think it would be Shake It Off. Fair, but also, like, you know, you said Blank Space. Um, and, and then there are, like, three other songs off this album that could be on that list. True. Uh, so I would like to just talk about the fact how that I love that both of these albums are so unapologetically about wanting things mm -hmm. and getting them. Like, one of the things I love about Carly Rae Jepsen's music in general is that she's just, like, 
joyfully horny. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and like so casually sexual. And it's just, it's it's all fun and everyone's enjoying themselves and there's no like guilt about being in love with who she's in love with. Mm-hmm. This is also why I really love Ariana Grande, by the way. Because hmm. I think she makes the same kind of just like very cheerfully sexy music. Mm-hmm. I I will admit that I like have almost no exposure to Ariana Grande. Um, I like I'm sure I've heard her songs, and if you played the the big ones, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure that one. But I haven't like actually listened to her that much. No, that's fair. Just like girl focused pop music that's easy to sing along to and easy to listen to is where I live musically. <laughs> um, and I also think that like that specific genre is one of the most derided genres in music other than country. Um, oh, absolutely. And Taylor Swift kind of gets like both ends of the stick on that one because she came out of country made like red is kind of a quasi country quasi rock quasi pop album and then went full pop for 1989 and it's like wow you just went from one of the most derided genres to the other most derided genre well and i think a lot of that is because pop music is so easily accessible that i think there are a lot of music fans who are like oh i know i know more than you do so, like, you like pop because it's easy, but I like other, <laughs> I don't know, I don't listen to that stuff, <laughs> but, like, well, so, avant-garde stuff because it's more challenging to listen to. Sure, and and my music tastes are definitely hipster, but not, um, like, I like challenging music, but it's not, like, what I'm going for. I'm going for, like, indie rock kind of stuff. Um, and also uh, some hip-hop and, and pop and, and all the rest of it, but, like, not... I guess I do some jazz, but not, like, the... Whatever. I, I don't default to avant-garde jazz. Um, but the flip side, and, and one thing that I... I was thinking a lot about this as I was listening to these albums and, and thinking about Guilty Pleasures. Um, Robin, who is, I think, like, the purest example of a four-on-the-floor pop-banger club album with... Uh, uh, body talk uh is loved by the same hipsters who would hate uh taylor swift um which i think is kind of an interesting thing where she gets to to you know the, she gets to be enjoyed even though she's doing kind of the purest distillation is what of what taylor swift is also doing um but i think the difference is taylor swift presents herself as like a pretty popular young white woman um who is, and that is, like, something that people like to hate. Um, and, you know, coming out of country, which is, like, definitely the wrong kind of white person music, it's a lot of, like, coding that the hipsters who want to, you know, put the, uh, drink the PBR and have their nose up in the air can easily, like, latch onto as, as negative or bad just by presenting how she's presenting herself. True. Um, I also think that... And this will not be the first time you hear us mention this fact in the podcast. I think pop gets derided a lot because it is frequently led by women. Yes. Uh, um, but both led by women and also young women are the biggest fans. Yes. And people like one of the best examples of the of this is. 
people like to call the Beatles a rock band, the Beatles were writing pop music, y'all. I hate to break it to you. Well, and I, I wrote a long uh, digression on this just to get my thoughts in order on it. Uh, also thinking of the Beatles. Beatles mania, which was like 63, 64, 65, was pure pop. Their fans were predominantly young women. And everyone considered their music to just, like, not everyone. The established music scene uh, considered their music to just be a craze that would soon die down and, and no one would, like, care about the Beatles. Um, then once they stopped touring and stopped sort of being seen surrounded by fans of, of young women because uh, they weren't, like, you know, going on tour or whatever, uh, and started making their more, like, experimental albums, all of a sudden, music critics were like, oh, look, they're the most important band of all time, which, on the one hand, they are. On the other hand, it's it's definitely... Correlation is not causation, but it sure is interesting that as soon as they stopped being coded as being, like, a group for, like, a, a poppy boy band, that they started getting the critical plaudits that then allowed positive reassessments of their earlier pop music. Yeah, I also, I got curious about um, women pop stars who are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. Mm-hmm. So, like um, most first of, of all, First of all, Madonna didn't get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until 2008, which is insanity. <laughs> oh uh, Debbie Gibson is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. That's outrageous. Yes. Um, God. But yeah, we're talking about a genre of music whose primary creators are young, attractive women and whose primary consumers are young uh, women. And yeah, who the, the creators of which do just as much musically heavy lifting as um, all of the like, quote unquote, important uh, male artists in the world. And yeah. That, that grinds my gears a little bit. Well, like, if you can't tell. <laughs> having experimental and innovative music is clearly important, but it is also important to, to have, like, pure, joyful, like, bangers. And the fact that we, not we, that the musical criticism community gives much greater precedence to one and, and much less to the other is disappointing, but not terribly surprising. Oh yeah, it's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um so yeah, you you said that there was a point in which you stopped being it, you you basically you stopped feeling guilty about the fact that you enjoyed this music. It was when I got in it was a very quick I by the time emotion came out, I was like, "You know what? This is just raw good fun pop music. I like it. Why should I have to defend it?" Well, and that's the thing at the root of all guilty pleasures is that for something to be a guilty pleasure, y you have to not, you have to be ashamed of the fact that you like something. Yes. And I, as a fully formed human adult, I, I admit that I did not feel this way as a teen, but as a fully formed human adult, it's a little bit like, what is the point of feeling guilty about enjoying anything? Right, right. It's like people who get upset when there's uh, like Impossible Burgers now at Burger King. It's like, you don't have to order it. This isn't hurting you in any way. Oh, yeah. It's getting mocked by the people who think that the, the presence of 
female superheroes means that somehow there are fewer male characters or that the male characters are less Martha if there's not a five to one ratio of men to women in my movies I get to I start getting really defensive and feel like I'm not being properly represented (laughs) (laughs) do we do we think that that's the same do we think that that's the same question here I mean they're definitely related because patriarchy right um I I don't think so. Music is so much more... I don't know. Like, it's... Music is less all-culturally consuming than movies because there are, like, 10 million albums put out every year and only, like, you know, so many movies, especially these days, um, that a big superhero movie is going to be much more of a cultural ubiquity than, like, even even a massive album. Um, and in music, I don't feel like there's the same, <sighs> I want to be careful about how I put this, because there's obviously the Emmys have a huge, uh, both gender and race problem with their performers, but the Emmys are also, or not the Emmys, the Grammys, um, but the Grammys are also, like, bad. Um, because I... of that giant <laughs> racial bias. Yeah, and also they don't know how to, like put on a show uh when their entire like reason for existing is put on a show uh that aside i don't think there's the sense in the music community that like because lizzo is good and popular that some like undeserving man is not being good and popular but that's mostly just because there are so many other outlets and like ways to like you can write off lizzo if you're dumb um but i don't first of all how dare you (laughs) right um (laughs) But I don't think it's coming from the same, like, defensive, like, misguided defensive nature that um, the superhero fanboys might be coming from. Yeah, I think it's actually more of just, I don't like this thing, so if you like it, you must be stupid kind of thing happening. Yes, I think that's right. Um, and I, I was definitely guilty of this, like, back, way, way back in the day when I was in high school. I didn't listen to any modern music, basically, at all, until, like, my junior and senior year. Um, and it took me a long time to get into modern music and then to get into hipster music and then to get into pop music. Um, and a lot of it was just me being like, well, why would I listen to that? I've got this other stuff to listen to instead. I've got, like, the Beatles and the Stones and you too. Uh, and then learning to appreciate other music and open my mind to then let me appreciate even more music. Um, But then you have people who are still like, nope, this is what I like. I don't want to go listen to anything else. And people who don't share my opinions are wrong and dumb. So I assigned a book Mm -hmm. to read. Yes. Um, And this was a book that I read for the first time when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. which was kind of the peak of my, I have to hide how much I enjoy certain things. So the thing about me in high school was that I was, most of my friends were boys, which Pete can can attest to. Can confirm. He was, he was one of them. (laughs) Um, So I definitely had a lot of the like, I'm not like other girls. I'm the cool girl. I'm one of the guys things going on. Yeah. So a lot of the girlier stuff that I liked, I didn't want to ever talk about because it was like, oh, well, this is just 
Like, you, this is just for me. Right. Also, you um, very well might have been mocked by uh, people if you were like, I'm reading sexy fairy books. Yes. Um, so the book that I assigned was A Kiss of Shadows by Laurel K. Hamilton. Uh, Laurel K. Hamilton is more well-known, I think, for her Anita Blake Vampire Hunter books, which are also paranormal romance. Um, but I, I never really got into Anita Blake. I was much more into the Mary Gentry books. Um, A Kiss of Shadows is... Google Books describes it as erotic horror. I I would have said supernatural erotica, but I guess that's kind of splitting hairs. Um, Basically, it's a political drama, but it features fairies who are all really horny and have a lot of sex. Yep. And there's some weird, freaky magic in there, too. Yep. And weird, freaky (laughs) magic sex. Yes. Uh, the main character, Mary, is a lost fairy princess who ends up going home and basically being told, hey, you can take over as queen of the fairies as long as you get knocked up by one of these beautiful fairy men within the next three years. Life is very tough for her. Um, so hard. <laughs> uh, I I appreciate that this is like, it's not like generic fairies. It's straight up like. She will be queen of the unseelie court with the Shia. Um, it's all. Oh no, Laurel. Laurel does her homework. Yeah. Like I, I do think that there's a lot of um, folkloric research that went into writing these books. Like she gets pretty deep into um, like Welsh and European uh, folklore and fairy stories. Uh, some... You actually see. You get to see more of that as the books go on. Mm-hmm. Because some of the uh, some of the fairies in the court are based on actual like uh, the folklore stories. The sea god um, whose name I'm forgetting is another name for Mananon McNeilier, who's like a, a major uh, Celtic like deity. I think I think in an, in one of the later books they actually say that that used to be his name. Ah, cool. Yeah, and like one of the one of the fairies is basically who the jack frost story is based off of so like she's playing around with real folklore Mm -hmm. uh, which i think is cool um but yeah there are i think six of these books i've read them all now that i've read the first one i'm rereading them all again have you have you only read them all once like is this your second reread or is it going to be like your 20th reread no this is just my second reread Mm -hmm. um it's an unfinished series which bothers me. She's this um, book came out in two thousand. Has she just been doing like other series instead and put this to the side, or? Yeah, she was writing these and um, Anita Blake concurrently. Mm-hmm. I think the last Anita Blake book came out in like two thousand seventeen. Uh, okay. The last one of these came out in like two thousand fourteen. Okay, got um, it. So like, it's, she, been a, it's been a minute. She's putting out like a book every two years, but it's a book of like alternating. So so yeah. each one goes slowly. Yeah, and I, I haven't heard anything about this series. Um, but anyway, when I was first reading them, now I'm like, I don't care. I'll take it anywhere. I'll read it on the subway, whatever. Um, but when I was first reading them, it was very much like, I can't let anybody know that I am reading this book about fairies having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, depending on the covers, uh, it would either be very obvious or not obvious at all. Because, like, based on just the title, it's like, I don't know, that's the title of a fantasy book. Yeah, the cover of the one... So a friend of mine actually gave this to me mm-hmm. for my birthday at some point. Um, and the cover that I had was the one with the legs. <laughs> it's got two, like, <laughs> hot lady legs Sure. On it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure all the Kindle series is, is like, shirtless men of various ilk. So it's like, yep, okay. All of the yeah, all of the subsequent um, volumes have like chin to top of thigh, like cutting off the tops of their heads and making sure to get those uh, bare ass chests in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what did you think of this book? I was actually very curious about what you like what your thoughts on this book were gonna be <laughs> um so i've never read any book that would fall in the genre of romance or uh supernatural erotica or anything um however as i was saying off mic i'm currently running a D one shot that's all about the feywild so i had also been doing my own research into like celtic fairy myths and stuff for like the past month or two um so this like if you had assigned i don't know like werewolf erotica it probably wouldn't have like done it for me as much but the fact that it was fairies i'm like i'm super into this because i am already like my brain is already swimming in these waters for separate reasons um so it was that fun like playing the identification game uh in a way um yeah no i i enjoyed it as i think this is a great example of a guilty pleasure where i have some like other fantasy books or sci-fi books where i'm like "Eh, it's basically like literary crack it's definitely not good for you but sometimes you just need a palate cleanser that you can finish off in an afternoon or so um and it tells a good story uh i i take umbrage with the idea that it's not good for you i mean a lot of this book all all of the good sex in this book is very consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from the point of view of Mary, so it's very female gaze e. This is one of the things that I think it's important to remember about like erotica or quote unquote chicklet. I hate that phrase, but like sexy literature that is written for women tends to have, I think, better and more accessible sex scenes in it. That's almost certainly true. Uh, and I, I should definitely um, clarify my terms by, like, not good for you. I'm including, like, random space opera books in the same bucket. Um, just, like, a- any genre kind of book that you can read in an afternoon. Not 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 good for you in a, like, value-setting way, but in a, like, it's not capital L literature. Um, yeah, not but capital, in... L, capital L literature is usually bad. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I I'm trying to remember what got my hackles all up about this, but it's like I so I'm a I'm a teen librarian and half of my battle is just getting a kid to pick up a book. Mm-hmm. So frequently this distinction between like high literature or science fiction or a Star Wars book or whatever you have, it's it's all meaningless. Like it's like if you're reading, you're reading, so carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I I don't know that this differentiation between like high literature and um non-high liter 
like non-capital L literature, which let's be honest, usually ends up being genre fiction, which is bonkers to me. Right, right. Uh, and like, um, I, uh, this is kind of more my own reading habits where like, I like to, like, I will, I read, uh, you know, history books for fun because uh, I'm interested in whatever topic it is. And so I like, you know, in, and right now I'm, I'm for the past, Six months, I've been slowly reading War and Peace, which I'm enjoying, but is taking forever. And I like having the breaks in between where it's like, this this history book took me a long time to read. It was challenging um, just because it's information dense and all the rest of it. Uh, so now I'm going to read something that's fun, easy, quick. Um, you know, that, that that's kind of how I'm I'm making this dichotomy. Not that it's a value judgment of these things are, are worse and these things are better or that you should be reading this and you should not be reading that. Well, and I, th I think what needs to happen, and this won't happen with us because we are just two people in this, you know, swamp of our popular culture. Um, but I think in general, the language needs to change mm -hmm. around media because mm -hmm. I think that that's also part of the problem. People feel guilty particularly like teens and kids who are still adjusting to the fact that at the end of the day, they can read whatever they want and it doesn't matter. Um, you know, they're told like, Oh, this comic is, uh, you know, com comics are lo a lower form of, mm. of media than comics aren't uh, real books. Yeah. And like, um, like, if you want to read Pretty Little Liars, that is less worthwhile than reading Catcher in the Rye or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a bad book. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, but maintaining this division, particularly when you're talking about the, like, quote-unquote literary canon, which is such a fake idea that it makes my blood boil. And it's all white men like, anyway, right in the canon. Yeah, so. it's like, is it over 50 years old and written by a white guy? perfect you're good yeah um and then that somehow means that other reading other books is not as worth your time and that's what turns people off of reading that's what makes people think like oh i don't like to read because they've been told that the stuff that they want to read is trash mm -hmm. none of it is trash read whatever you want i give everybody who's listening to this podcast permission to stop reading something they're not enjoying and to understand that when somebody says oh you have to read this before you die they're lying. On the other hand, if you're wanting to challenge yourself, definitely go ahead and challenge yourself and read complicated books, oh, but don't feel like you have to. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so uh, however, if you're reading uh, Atlas Shrugged, you should definitely stop and throw it away uh, because that <laughs> is just straight up a bad book with bad Somebody, ideas. I, I think it was Random House on Twitter, like the publishing house tweeted a poll that was would you break up with somebody if they hated your favorite book and 37 percent of the respondents said yes and i was just like who hurt you what are you talking about <laughs> and a friend of mine commented except if your favorite book is atlas shrugged then right. they should absolutely break up I mean, with you <laughs> that should have been the number one red flag for like maybe i shouldn't date you in the first place but perhaps it was yes. a, a hidden love uh Okay, so we do have a couple of discussion questions to go through. Uh, we've touched on them a little bit, but I thought I'd give us a chance to like more get a little bit more focused on them if we wanted the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. um, 
so what are the common things we associate as being guilty pleasures? Uh, I sent you a list of someone did a poll like a year ago about top guilty pleasures in the United States. Did you have a chance to look at that? I did. Um, and, and this is a <clears throat> carrying on to one of a kind of another discussion question we have, but a lot of the guilty pleasures on the list we're kind of not talking about here because they're either food-based or uh, activity-based. Um, so do you want to get into that discussion or do you want to just kind of focus on the I just media? Wanna, pleasures? I, just, I just want to, I just want to read a couple of these because I thought that they were interesting. Mostly because a lot of them are just like my life. So <laughs> reading them, it's like, why would you, and I, I think this also kind of segues into one of our next questions. It's like, why do people feel guilty about this? And then it's like, oh, right. Um, capitalism and the patriarchy right. are why people feel guilty about these things. One of them on the list is stealing soap or shampoo from hotels, which is not guilty, not a pleasure, and something you should always do because they're going to throw That's those bottles away. So, like, I don't get what 17% of the respondents are, are feeling here, either Catholic or Jewish, with all the guilt going on. But Yes. Uh, yes, but the the number one at 42% is ordering takeout because you can't be bothered to cook, also known as every Tuesday night in my house because I don't get home until 1030 at night. Yeah, that, that's so, also like can't be bothered to cook or live a busy life because capitalism and therefore need to pay someone else to cook for me. Yes, sneaking an extra scoop of ice cream, 38%. That's because we've all been taught to hate our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um. Putting off a task, 35%, because uh, we all have 80 million things to be doing, and sometimes something has to wait until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of uh, these... Singing out about... loud in the car, I do not understand why anyone would have any guilt for that one. Uh, especially mm -hmm. if you're by yourself in the car. It's the same as singing in the shower. Who cares? Yes. Um, but yeah, we're not going to spend too long on this list, because yeah, most of them are not media-focused. But I did want to point out this one. 25% of people in the world feel guilt, or in the United States, sorry, feel guilty for enjoying Disney films and cartoons as an adult. To which I say to you, where else do you derive joy? <laughs> um, I'm going to hazard that a large percent of those 25% are men. Um, I... Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I know that. 100%. <laughs> um, there's definitely an age, because of the patriarchy, when a lot of boys, I think, no longer will watch Disney movies because it is for girls. Um, and sometimes you just never break that habit, and that's very disappointing. Or, like, like not just for girls, but, like, that's baby stuff. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to be a baby anymore. I'm going to, like... Be be mm -hmm. a sulky teenager and refuse to watch uh, Disney movies. Whereas I have watched the Frozen Two trailer six times and <laughs> cried every single time. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think Pixar is kind of helping this a little bit. Where like something like Up or um, uh, Wall-E or Inside Out had a large or like any Pixar movie I could name for the past twenty years uh, had a like. Obviously, it's a kid's movie, but it had such a large, like, critical acclaim that I think it also had that cachet of, like, it's fine for adults to go see that, too. Um, but it had to be... It had to be, yes. It had to be critically acclaimed right. for that. Right, like, like Frozen up... was not in the same way. Correct. 
Sorry, I was trying to remember Frozen got nominated for Best Animated Picture, and I don't think so. Even if it was, like, <clears throat> I did not watch Frozen in the theater. Um, I did see Moana in the theater, uh, and I've seen most Pixar movies in theaters, but not, like, other Disney movies. Ugh, Moana was great. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but but that was also one that got, a like, a quick critical consensus that like this is a great movie shut up your guilty feeling go watch this even if you don't have kids um yeah i i feel like we have we have addressed what it is about our chosen media that initially made us associate it with feelings of guilt mm -hmm. uh mine was at 15 i didn't want people to know that i thought about sex <laughs> america Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we talked a lot about how uh, the music industry is deeply sexist, but also the music consuming culture has a lot of sexist biases uh, that negatively rate things that uh, especially young women like and produce. And I know that we, we sort of addressed this specifically, but was there a point at which you kind of realized you were done feeling guilty about anything that you enjoy? Or do you still have things that are kind of that, that you feel a little guilty about liking? I am certain there are things that I feel guilty about liking. It's, it's changed though. The quality of the guilt has changed. Like I don't, I don't feel guilty about enjoying like girly or poppy stuff anymore mm -hmm. i feel guilty about the fact that i still want to watch superman returns even though kevin spacey is in it <laughs> like i'm only like I, i'm, I'm you, not really joking like you, you my, become my political guilt. guilt yes yeah yes it's it's and i'm mad at all of this like i'm mad that i can't watch midnight in paris anymore because woody allen is horrifying or like uh, like steve, like there's there's the underlying guilt that like steve mnuchin is an executive producer for the lego movie and lego batman so yeah but i didn't really like those movies uh, i mean we can agree to disagree never, but the idea that yeah, like I, never, I didn't actually see lego batman because i didn't <sighs> I thought the Lego movie was fine. All I right. thought it was aggressively fine. I thought it was very well crafted. I, I don't want to litigate the Lego movies. Uh, I just want to say that it's <laughs> it's deeply frustrating that a member of the Trump administration is also an executive oh. producer of movies that I like. Um, also, oh, the owner sure. of Marvel is a despicable human being, uh, but we give him a lot of money because he, um, uh, you know, owns a company That's that makes things that we all enjoy. Yes. Um, and I think I feel like that's the guilt that we all have to reconcile now is that a lot of the creators that we whose products we enjoy are trash. You know, I've I've got two other kinds of guilt when I consume things sometimes. It's I play video games infrequently, and when I do, usually I get like very into one game and then don't play for a while. Uh, and part of it is it took me a long time to get over the guilt of I'm spending my afternoon or evening or whatever playing a video game instead of doing anything else. Uh, even if doing anything else would be mindlessly scrolling through Twitter, uh, it didn't have the same, like, guilt valence as playing a game did for reasons that I cannot explain. Um, and while I've mostly gotten over that, I still definitely, in most games, hit a point after about two hours where I'm like, I should be doing literally anything else. Uh, which is like a different kind of, of 
guilt of more like time use guilt rather than enjoyment guilt. True. Um, and then I, I also yeah, go ahead. I I feel that very acutely, but there is also a certain point where I just like my my feelings of exhaustion are so great that they override that, and it's sure. like if I if I have to do anything that is productive, I'm just going to break down and weep. Well, so which, which when again, that, mm-hmm. what were you going to say? I was going to say, like, for me, it's weirdly coded only for video games. I could be doing something equally unproductive and not feel the same guilt. I feel very guilty. And this is something that I candidly uh, am working out with my therapist. I feel guilty taking time to do anything that is just me. Mm-hmm. Like anything that is not spending time with my husband or my friends or my sister or whoever, like that is something that I feel that I have to justify. Sure. And my therapist is helping me get to a place where I understand. Well, like I understand it theoretically, like but like understanding it, it practically that want the wanting to do it is enough of a reason. Mm-hmm. And I, Sometimes I I can get there. Um, <laughs> ongoing actually, ongoing process. Well, one of the reasons I managed to uh, speed read it in ten days is because I had I was reading it for the podcast. So it wasn't just mm. I want to read this book. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. I have to read it for this other thing that I'm going to be doing. Um, Even though we ostensibly assigned it as a uh, bonus material, I think we both treated it as a not actually bonus material. Oh, also, I just wanted to reread it. My mm-hmm. brain just had to go through the hoops of B- build uh, the the scaffold around letting you do it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that is that is an interesting factoid that the kind of guilt we feel over enjoying things has evolved. <laughs> yes, I do still feel some like classic guilty pleasure guilt around things like I I a week ago just finished listening to all the audiobooks of the wheel of time and i feel like that is a definite guilty pleasure kind of content where it's like it is rank high fantasy of the most apostrophed variety um and the first couple the first couple chapters of the first book i was like i don't know if i can get into this cuz i feel almost embarrassed listening to it um and then the world building sucked me in enough that i'm like eh this is fine um, and then by the end, I'm like, nope, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I'm happy to talk about it with anyone. Uh, but it was kind of that gradual transition. But, like, what was it about those books that made you feel guilty for enjoying them? I think part of it was it is the kind, it was exactly the kind of books that I was reading as, uh, like a middle schooler and high schooler, and that sort of had a valence of, like, childishness right where like i i didn't read it during those years but i absolutely could have been and it's kind of weird that i didn't um and some books that i read then i would absolutely pick up again and and have no qualms like i'm low-key planning to reread lord of the rings um and also watch all three lord of the rings movies uh in one weekend this winter um and i i that feels like totally fine whereas other books um i was really into like the star wars x-wing books uh, when I was a kid, and I think I'd have a hard time picking them up now because they are so deeply locked into that particular, like, age that I was in 
that I would have a hard time disassociating that. I guess I just see everything that you just listed. You're like, that's why I would do it. Well, no, I just none of those the in- the intended the intended audience for none of those things is children. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> even like even if we are to assume that children's lit and YA lit is a guilty pleasure, which I don't think it should be. Right. None of those things qualify for that. <laughs> right. So I'm just I'm well... just still stuck on the like why bother? Why spend the energy feeling guilty? You're just reading a book. Right. Well, and like it's a weird thing for books because like i don't have that same mental valence with music i don't have that same valence with movies like i can easily listen to an album that i was into uh, at that age because again that was mostly classic rock uh or i could rewatch a movie that i was enjoying at that age um and be like totally fine now and not have that sort of like mental hiccup but not all books but some books definitely give me pause and part of it is like i'm maybe i'm just not as in like i'm I wouldn't reread the X-Wing books because I'm legitimately just not a- as interested in it as I was then. Um, oh, that's fair. But it, it's one thing where, like, even if I was super interested in it, I'm not sure if I would pick up that particular series again to reread. Um, or, like, any Star Wars book, just because it has that, like, weird uh, valence for me in a way that I cannot explain. Um, yeah. Well, and mostly, I don't think you should have to. Like, I think wanting or not wanting to read a thing is enough of an explanation like it talking about guilty pleasures it always feels like we go through so many hoops to like justify why we do or don't like something right and i just it's too much energy like because like the, the, we, we haven't we haven't talked about this at all but the flip side of a guilty pleasure is like a guilty dislike of like everyone else likes this except for me um which is also like that is equally fine to dislike something as it is to like something. Um, yes. And and that's, yeah. yeah, and I think you're right. Like, you should not have to justify, as long as no one else is being, like, harmed, you should not have to justify things you like or things you don't like. You can have a good argument about it. You can be objectively wrong or, or, or right about things, uh, uh, matters of opinion, uh, but you shouldn't have to justify it at the end of the day. I blame the internet. Mm. A good thing to blame in general. Well, because there's definitely a culture on the internet of like, or maybe it's just on Twitter, but like, if somebody says comments that they like or dislike something, especially if it's a woman, and especially if it's a nerd property that they're commenting on, guaranteed someone shows up in her comments to tell her why her opinion is wrong (laughs) and then it becomes well now i have to justify why i felt that way and it's like you don't actually this jerk is just making you think that you do i think the internet's just made it more immediate and like all pervasive but you know as we were talking earlier with the beatles like the 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 beatles fans were written off as teeny boppers who didn't know any better and they'd grow up and stop listening to this like pop rock and roll music same with like early Elvis fans and and all the rest of it. I think it's it's always been enough people don't like new things and enough people want to denigrate especially what young women like. Um so I I think it's kind of like it's kind of always been a thing. It's just now you're not just arguing with your dad about like 
liking the Beatles, you're arguing with a random person on the internet, and, and it's actually ten random people on the internet. So do we have any closing thoughts about guilty pleasures and why no one should feel guilty for feeling any kind of way about something? Eh, that's that's pretty good. Don't <laughs> enjoy the things you like. Yeah, enjoy the things you like, and if somebody wants to make fun of you for it, then screw them. Yeah. Uh, so what are we talking about next week? Uh, so next week we are going to be talking about urban legends. We are joined by uh, my brother and past and future guest of the show, Mark Romberg, um, who is assigning Over the Garden Wall, a delightful little animated show with the voice of Frodo Baggins himself, Elijah Wood. Uh, you can watch all of that on Hulu. Um, I am assigning the movie Candyman, which came out in the year of our Lord. I thought I'd get my timing better on that one. Uh, 1992. Um, oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah, a bit of an older one. I'm assigning an HBO original documentary called Beware the Slender Man, which came out either this year or last year. I don't remember. Is that about the girls in Wauwatosa? Yes. Okay, super fun. Yes. I, I had debated assigning the Slender Man film. Um, but I feel much better assigning the documentary because I still feel kind of gross about the fact that they made that very recent, very horrible, very true incident into a sensational supernatural horror movie. Yeah. Um, uh, the events so took place watch... in an inner ring suburb of Milwaukee, so <laughs> I am definitely aware of it. Yes. Uh, Pete, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on the internet at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm shouting about politics and pop culture and about how uh, in this super tight labor market with um, uh, wages have been super stagnant, profits for companies have been soaring, so it's a real shame that millennials are so stingy that we're causing a uh, economy slump, economic slump. Um, yeah. If the boomers want us to own houses, they can buy them for us. Mm -hmm. I, they told me not to eat avocado toast. Now they're telling me I'm bad for not buying avocado toast. I'm very confused about what I should be doing, um, especially with, uh, you know, flat wages. I, I can't with the economy. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me online anywhere at Magical Martha. I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can send us an email at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, you can watch this feed alternating with uh, Did You Do Your Homework Every Wednesday is the other podcast I do with returning or repeat guest in front of the show, Marin, where we watch uh, teen rom-coms that are streaming on Netflix and pick them apart and sometimes tell you how we would have done them better. The, uh, the last uh, movie you watched was apparently not good. The last episode we did was on a movie called Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List, and that movie was not good. It was a good episode about a bad movie. <laughs> Our next episode will be about Tall Girl, also on Netflix, which I haven't watched yet, but I am going to assume is good. <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious that uh, you and Marin are watching a movie called Tall Girl because you are both famously tall girls. <laughs> you couldn't even finish saying that before you started laughing. Yes. Um, Pete, am I forgetting anything on the sign-off? Uh, you probably have a tiny letter that you want to plug. Oh, I do write a newsletter. 
Um, I published that whenever I feel like it. The last one went out at the end of September and talked about all of the books that I read in September. I read 13 books in September. Oh, nice. Which is incredible. That's a lot of books. Um, but you can find that at tinyletter.com backslash magicalmartha. Uh, I always include a link to my PayPal tip jar. And if you would like that to update more frequently, dropping a dollar in there is exactly the kind of motivation I would need to do so. Yeah. I think that's everything. I think that's it. Hooray. Good night, everybody. And have fun doing your homework. Class is dismissed. Cool. This is going to be like exactly an hour. Yay. Yeah.